Praise the Lord. Welcome to our weekly 30-minute podcast, The Elephant in the Room with Bishop Michael Bellamy. Our podcast will cover a variety of topics that are often overlooked, misunderstood, or even controversial from a biblical perspective. We're blessed to have a wonderful team of enthusiastic and excited producers who want to make each episode something that will be enjoyable and informative for listening. In today's episode, we will explore the family, a gift from God, and the age-old question of Head of the Household. Today's podcast was produced by Lead Pastor Corey Lyndon Bellamy Sr., I'll be right back with today's episode, Head of the Household. The family is a gift from God. He is the architect, engineer, and designer of the family, unfortunately. Families have been under extreme stress the past two years during this pandemic. We've been reminded of the value of family and the importance of gatherings, loving on each other, and providing support for one another. Social distancing, travel restrictions, and the limited number of people in gatherings have taken an emotional and psychological toll on us. Families, we were not able to visit our loved ones in assisted living facilities, in nursing homes, or in hospitals. We couldn't visit and celebrate birthdays, wedding anniversaries, holidays, or special occasions. It has been difficult. It's been a difficult time for the family. Now, I'll be the first to admit that our families are not perfect, but we do enjoy spending quality time together. In fact, no family is perfect. Often, we do what we can to walk around the elephant in the room. Maybe that's the living room. Ignoring the obvious, many families are in a crisis. The government and our community are simply a reflection of the family's misalignment with God's design. One major dysfunction and cause of the family's misalignment, in many cases, is because the family institution has two heads. When God designed it to only have one. Or there is no head because the husband and wife are equal in the marriage. Now friends, that's a very sensitive subject. But it seems to work well for many marriages. We're looking at it from a biblical perspective, not cultural or personal preferences marital arrangements, or what's convenient. According to God's plan for the family, there can only be one head of the household. 
according to God's design, the husband and the wife are not equal in the marriage. May I say that again? According to God's design, the husband and wife are not equal in the marriage. I was told anything that has two head causes confusion, and we know that God is not the author of confusion, but peace. In a marriage, it is the male, the husband, who is God's appointed head for the household. Now, friends, please be careful before labeling this episode as misogynistic, patriarchal, or sexist because God is none of the above. The husband works closely with his wife, God's appointed helper, to help him to build a healthy family. In a recent social media post, I said, a healthy family is when parents love their children and the children honor and respect their parents. I will add to that by saying a healthy family is one where the husband loves and respects his wife and she loves and honors the headship of her husband. Perhaps you have heard the saying, he's the head, but I'm the neck that turns the head any way I please. Well, that comes from a movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Tola said, my dad is so stubborn, what he says goes. Ah, the man is the head of the house. Maria replied, let me tell you something, Tola. The man is the head, but the woman is the neck, and she can turn that head any way she wants. Well, that may be true in many cases, but let's look at God's design for the family. Let's look at the Genesis account. When God formed Adam and assigned him as his appointed authority in the Garden of Eden, Adam's responsibility was to dress and keep the garden. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Contemporary English version reads like this, The Lord God put the man in the Garden of Eden to take care of it and to look after it. Please note, it was God that put man in the garden. It was God who gave responsibility, who gave authority to Adam. Adam did not self-appoint himself. That was his maker's decision. Then God also commanded Adam, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. And then he gave him a warning, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And of course he had other responsibilities as well, such as naming the the file, the cattle, beasts, etc. At that time, Adam was alone, and God said, It is not good for man to be alone. Adam, 
needed someone compatible and complementary to him. So what God did, he created a female to be Adam's helper. Please note, not his neck, not a slave or doormat. She was made to help him succeed in every assignment God gave him. Eve was handmade by God. I love to use the word occasionally handcrafted. She was handmade by God. And I believe that she was one of the most beautiful and intelligent women that has ever lived. She had to be. She did. She had to be the most beautiful and most intelligent woman that has ever lived because she was made with God's hands. She had everything Adam needed in a woman, a wife, and as a mother of his children. When Adam saw Eve, he said, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, friends, I want to read a scripture that I think is seldom quoted or read. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 through 9. For the man is not of the woman but the woman of the man. Verse 9 reads, Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. So let me read that again, if you don't mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 through 9. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. God looked at Adam and said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So he created a woman for the man. The man was not created for the woman. The man was created first. So why didn't the Lord make another man? Because a man couldn't help Adam procreate, multiply, and replenish the earth. The woman, he gave a womb to her to be able to develop and nourish a fetus until time for the baby to be delivered. The woman, her role would be to help fulfill God's will and their assignment and that assignment was to be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1 and 28 in the New Living Translation reads like this, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every creeping thing that moveth upon the earth. Now, a very unfortunate thing happened in the garden with all of its beauty and splendor, with 
Adam standing there in God's image and God's glory and Eve, a magnificent specimen of womanhood. Satan was there in the form of the serpent. Eve was deceived by the shrewd serpent. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, it looked beautiful and delicious to Eve. She was even convinced that it would make her wise, you know, like the gods. So she ate of it and then she offered it to Adam, her husband. Now, this is a recipe for disaster. A beautiful woman offering fruit that looked good and with desirable benefits. That was just too much for Adam. He ate. She gave and he ate. When God arrived in the garden for their daily conversation, Adam played the the blame game. He blamed his willful Malfeasance on his wife, Eve. Then Adam said to God, you gave her to me. Can you, can you imagine that? Adam telling God, it's not my fault. She was your idea. You gave her to me. I didn't ask for her. The fact is, is that Adam disobeyed a direct order that was given to him by his creator. And Adam was responsible to God for Eve's actions, her behavior. He was responsible for cultivating the earth and having dominion over the fish, the fowl and the animals. And for every action, there is a reaction. And there was a, a horrible reaction by God to Adam's dereliction of duty. Not being in the place where he should have been. When Adam and Eve disobeyed, when they sinned against God, they earned God's judgment. That judgment was death. It was a spiritual death and a natural death for themselves and their offsprings. Adam's dereliction of duty threw the family into chaos and out of alignment with God's perfect will. And because God is a God of justice, he judged all three of them. He judged Adam, Eve, and the serpent. Now, friends, look closely at Genesis in chapter 3, verse 16. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. God said Eve's desire would be to her husband. In other words, God said to Eve, You will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. In case you were distracted or you missed it, let me read it again. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, the New Living Translation, God said Eve's desire would be to her husband. In other words, God said to Eve, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. 
Now, here's the elephant in the room. There has been a power struggle. There has been a power struggle for the head of the household in the family since the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that their descendants continue to battle. The harmonious relationship God designed has been replaced with a copy. Can we call it a bootleg family? It may look like the original, but a closer view reveals an inferior reproduction with loose strings. This is Bishop Michael Bellamy. I hope you're enjoying our podcast and will subscribe to our Facebook page. You'll find our weekly 30-minute podcast on your favorite platforms. Would you please tell your family and friends to listen in as well? Well, now, friends, let's look at the perfect example of what it means to be the head of a family by examining examining the role that Jesus plays as the head of the church. And there is a similarity between the man's role as head of the house and Jesus' role as the head of the church. Jesus Christ, he's the Son of God. He's called the second man, Adam. He was sent by God to fix what Adam broke. The broken relationships between God and man and between mankind. And before taking on that role, Jesus prepared himself for ministry by first being baptized to fulfill all righteousness. John the Baptist identified Jesus as the bridegroom. And that's in John chapter 3, verse 29. Secondly, Jesus prepared himself for his bride, the church, by overcoming temptation in the wilderness. And then there was participation. Preparation, then participation. Jesus participated in the lives of his followers. He taught fishermen to be fishers of men. He refused to send men, women, and children away hungry. He fed them. He opened blinded eyes, healed the lame, raised the dead. Jesus reminded his disciples, those who followed him, of the greatest commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength. We have preparation, participation, and now we'll look at submission and sacrifice. Jesus was human. He was just as human as Adam was. Jesus was made of flesh and blood. He submitted himself to God, his Father, and sacrificed himself as the sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, 
Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus' love has no limits, no boundaries. He was willing to die for his bride, and his bride is the church, and the church is a group of water-baptized, spirit-filled believers. He was willing to die for his bride. He offered his blood to pay a penalty that we owed. In Luke chapter 22, verse 20, the contemporary English version reads like this, as it relates to Jesus' meal with his disciples that is now called the, the Lord's Supper. After the meal, he took another cup of wine in his hands, and then he said, this is my blood which is poured out for you. And with God makes his new agreement. The Apostle Paul is clear and concise when he said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. The church does not have two heads. The church is not equal with Christ. Christ is the head of the church. The church is Christ's bride. The husband is the head of the wife. The wife was, is the bride of the husband. And according to God's design, the wife is not equal to her husband in the relationship, just like the church is not equal to Christ in our relationship. Therefore, a believing husband must model Christ as the head of the household. We must follow a Christ-like model. And how do we do that? A man does that by preparing for his bride. Jesus spoke of that in John chapter 14. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. A man must be eligible for marriage, to be chosen by God as the appointing authority in his household. Please listen to this. To be truly recognized and honored those are two key words. To be recognized and honored. As the head of the household, a man must prepare for marriage. He must be employed. 
His income must exceed his expenses. He should provide a safe place for his bride and his family to live. And he must be devoted to his wife first. In the marital vows, it said, and forsaking all others. He must be devoted to his wife first, his children, and others lastly. Then the husband must be a participant in family life. It's easy to get lost in the daily demands of life. Going to work. Ministry. Busy at home. And of course, we can't leave out sports. Etc. However, the husband's priority is his family. Evangelism begins at home. He, he cannot effectively minister to others without spending quality time with his family. Each family member has different needs. Marie and I, we have six living children, and all six of them are very different. They are unique. They have grown up to be wonderful men and women. But they had and have different needs, and the head of the house, the husband, needs to understand the needs of his wife, and he also needs to understand the individual needs of his, of his children. Jesus was a servant, and so it is the responsibility of the husband to model servanthood. He must ensure that the basic needs of his family are provided. He should also make sure that his family lives comfortably. While all along, his wife function in the role of his helper in managing the household. The godly husband submits to God. A godly husband will lead his family in worshiping and serving the Lord like Joshua did. You'll find this in Joshua chapter 24 Verse 15, and Joshua said to Israel, choose who you will serve. Me and my house will serve the Lord. A godly husband must love his wife as Christ loved the church. The apostle Paul addressed that as well when he told the husbands in the church at Ephesus to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, and to love their wives as their own bodies. And Peter gave instructions to husbands as well, to be thoughtful of their wives, treat her with honor, because she isn't as strong as you are, and she shares with you in the gift of life. 
that nothing will stand in the way of your prayers. Now, I know that that's very controversial to say that a woman is not as strong as a man. And I'm sure it could be debated. But I'm going to go with what God said. That a woman is not as strong as the man. And she is the weaker vessel. And so a man, the husband, must treat her with honor. A husband who limits his love for his wife, he'll be limited in what he receives from God. A father is patient with his children. As head of the household, he is like the father of the prodigal son. Sometimes children reared in righteous homes and in the church may wander away from their beliefs to live on the wild side. Godly father is like to the father of the prodigal son. He looks for his son and shows compassion when he returns. He shows love and celebrates his return. And a father does not provoke his children to anger. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 and Colossians chapter 3 verse 21 speaks to that. A father or parent who vexes, annoys their children without sufficient grounds will discourage them. And we don't want to do that. A godly father leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Lastly, a good husband will leave more than his burial expenses. He will plan for his wife and children to be properly cared for after his demise. A father not only provides for his wife and children, but also provides an inheritance for his children's children. The blood and sweat from a life of service and sacrifice are an investment. The beautiful thing is, the dividends will benefit future generations. The husband is ordained by God. As head of the household, his wife is his helper. In a godly marriage, there is no competition. They're on the same team. They have the same goals. There is no competition. One complements the other. The husband's life of modeling Jesus Christ the second man, Adam, is one of preparation, participation, submission, love, sacrifice, and devotion. In doing these things, his wife will respect him as Sarah reverenced Abraham.
calling him Lord. Well, friends, that's all the time that we have for today. I hope you were blessed by today's podcast. Please don't forget to join us every week for our 30-minute podcast where we will address the elephant in the room. Today's podcast was produced by Lead Pastor Corey Lyndon Bellamy Sr. Be safe. Stay healthy. God bless.